What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Today, Bengals fans, I'm going to spend the first five minutes of the show here talking about the linebacker room. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go get the chocolate peanut butter flavor if you like that combination on BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. Inspired by Bengals.com in their first interview with Al Golden, the Bengals' new linebacker coach, there are some interesting tidbits in here, some fun little takeaways. And I think it's worth highlighting the first conversation we've heard with Al Golden and the incredible attention the Bengals gave to a position of need, really making a thorough attack to improve the position. After that, we've got a special edition of the mailbag, and that is going to be a little bit different than what you're used to. So stick around and be sure to let me know what you think of this alternative format to the mailbag coming your way in about five to seven minutes. We're going to get started, though, with the linebacker conversation. Josh Bynes has played 101 games in the NFL. That is eight more than the rest of the Bengals linebackers put together, and that includes Jordan Evans' 45 games played in the NFL. He is a guy that will be expected to come in and be a leader for this Bengals team with a bunch of guys that are in their first or second years at linebacker. Jermaine Pratt, of course, is going to be expected to start in his second year, but Al Golden points out that they've drafted leaders. They drafted multiple captains at the linebacker position from Marcus Bailey in the seventh round to Akeem Davis Gaither in the fourth round and Logan Wilson up in the third round. Along with Josh Bynes, this is an incredibly concerted effort to make the linebacker room better in the 2020 season. And this all fits with what Lou Anarumo said before the draft in February. As Bengals.com points out, He was looking for guys that had command of the huddle and command of leadership. Guys that could play three downs. And Josh Bynes is not necessarily a three-down backer, but he will certainly be a leader in this room to go along with the college captains that they drafted. And you have to feel a lot better about the personnel in the room. Let's start with Bynes, though. He was a guy that last year was an unsung hero or under-heralded hero, at least, for the Baltimore Ravens defense. Along with the midseason acquisition of Marcus Peters, Bynes went a long way towards stabilizing what started out the year for Baltimore as a questionable defense. In fact, the first time the Bengals played the Ravens last year, I thought that it might be a shootout. I thought the Bengals might be able to score some points. Of course, by then they had added Josh Bynes, and things didn't quite go that way. But Bynes had one of his best seasons for the Ravens last year after a bit of a journeyman career. A very strong run defender, an average pass defender, doesn't necessarily have the athleticism of the guys the Bengals drafted, but could be a three-down backer early in this Bengals season if the rookies aren't ready. On the other hand, Logan Wilson, who the Bengals drafted in the third round, could be a three-down linebacker right away. He's got above-average athleticism in all facets of the game, 
incredible coverage production in college, got his hands on a lot of balls, had interceptions, had pass breakups, and was also able to find the run fits. He is a guy that should be expected to be an early contributor, especially with his advanced age coming into the league. He should be a guy that is an early middle linebacker type contributor for the Bengals. Now, Akeem Davis Gaither is a guy that the Bengals said has never played outside the box. And if you turn on his tape at Appalachian State, you can see that the position he played there doesn't really exist in the NFL, but they feel like they saw enough in Mobile that he can play all over the field. I think he'll have a specific role for this team. I think that that will likely be a role that's targeted at slowing down and containing Lamar Jackson, but you have to feel good about the speed on tape and about the agility on tape. He's also a really good pass rusher. Really like that specific sub-package addition that he brings to the Bengals. This doesn't even mention Marcus Bailey, who has second-round tape, a lottery ticket pick for the Bengals in the seventh round, much like Rodney Anderson was in the sixth round last year. If he can stay healthy, he can easily be a contributor, and it's not very often that you find those in the seventh round. So I really enjoy that value. I will say that something I learned from this Bengals.com piece that I didn't know before is just how much Al Golden likes Marcel Spears, the Iowa State linebacker who the Bengals signed as an undrafted free agent. Bengals.com points out that he had 272 tackles in college, 24 and a half tackles for a loss with 13 pass breakups, six sacks, four interceptions, and two forced fumbles. That is a lot of productivity for a guy who is not expected to necessarily come in and be a starter, but is a guy that Al Golden has been paying attention to for a long time. In fact, he got a workout in with Marcel Spears before the coronavirus shut down pro days prior to the draft. In a world where the Bengals need versatile pieces, it certainly seems like they found some. I really like the sub-package possibilities offered by the linebackers on the roster, from the run-stuffer in Josh Bynes to the three-down prospects in Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson, who both are transitioning from secondary positions. Marcus Bailey, a lottery ticket. This unit should be much improved for the Bengals going into the future. Coming up next, we get into the mailbag, doing things a little bit differently this time. Let us know what you think. But before we get there, let's talk about the Built Bar, the fantastic protein bar that we can get you $10 off on right now at BuiltBar.com using promo code LOCKEDON. I've run out of my sample pack. I've got some more coming in the mail. Excited to get into some more of those peanut butter protein bars, that great taste, the low sugar content, the macros that I need. I'm starting to get active again as the weather gets a little bit nicer here. I'm getting outside and the protein bar is powering my movement. Can't recommend it enough. BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. Go check it out and let us know what you think. So today, listeners of the Locked On Bengals podcast, we're going to do the mailbag a little bit differently. This is something that I've been thinking about for a little bit of time now. And it's a way that I am looking to increase our fan engagement, our listener engagement. And today, Mike Martis joins the podcast. Mike listens to the podcast. He actually wrote an article for the Lockdown Bengals website when it existed back when James originally ran the podcast. And he's come up with eight questions to talk about today. Mike, welcome to the podcast. 
Hey, thanks for having me on, Jake. Happy to be here. So tell the people, just give them a, a quick biography about yourself. You can follow him, if you like, at Mike R. Martis on Twitter. And I know you do marketing, but what's, what's like 30 seconds of other things about yourself? Sure. Marketer by trade. Um, I do work from home and still doing a little bit of work right now, which I'm grateful for. Um, but uh, from a Bengals perspective, I, I, I was born into it. Never had a choice. My dad was a huge Bengals fan back in the 80s and 90s and well unfortunately through the 90s that to to me if you came up as a Bengals fan and you're in your 30s and you and you were a fan through the 90s that's that's prime stuff right there and that's kind of uh, where uh, you know the the fanhood formed in uh, in flames there Um, and so yeah I I grew up uh, I was actually born in Oxford so just north of Cincinnati there I grew up in the area and ended up I lived in Chicago for a little while moved out here. I'm now in San Diego. So I'm a, a Bengals fan on the West Coast, um, enjoying the weather and hoping for uh, a new day, as, as uh, Zach Taylor would tell us. And, and Zach would tell you that he's been very consistent in his messaging, as those that listen to the Lockdown Bengals podcast are aware of. But let's dive into your questions, Mike. You are speaking for the people today. There's no democracy. There's only Mike in submitting <laughs> questions for this episode. So let's get into them. What's your first question? Yeah, I feel, I feel so powerful. So I hope I, I hope I nail it. So uh, after some head scratchers last, in, in last year's draft, i.e. Drew Sample, we've talked about it quite a bit, uh, and the organization's recent misses in the draft for O-line prospects, uh, why are the Bengals so high on Akeem Adeniji? Uh, he's a sixth-round lineman. Uh, do we really believe that everyone else missed on him five times and the Bengals were the only one to uh, really see that he's going to be a, a productive starter in the NFL. Yeah. This is something that I think we actually spent like a whole episode on just talking about Hakeem Adenji, not the whole episode, but at least half of an episode, I guess. And I don't think that, well, you know what? The Bengals might be right, but there's this thing that happens in the NFL Willie Anderson talked to us about it when he was on the podcast where offensive line coaches have a lot of pride, have a lot of confidence in themselves. And this is a thing for NFL coaches in general, right? They have a lot of self-belief. They see balls of clay at the college level, and they always think, I can get that guy to be a great pro. The issue that we have with Hakeem Adenogy, at least that I have with Hakeem Adenogy, is that he looks like he's a pretty refined product at this point. He has four years of starting experience at the college level. Now, that in and of itself is not a bad thing. Usually experience is a good thing, but for Adenogy at Kansas, he developed a lot of habits that they're going to have to break at the NFL level. And Jim Turner said he was the best offensive tackle that he saw at the Senior Bowl, which I found very interesting. I mentioned earlier this week a lot of his time at the Senior Bowl, he spent a guard. And a lot of other draft analysts see him as a guard. But Matt Minnick, amongst others, actually, I was on the Locked On NFL Draft podcast yesterday, and Ben Solak liked Hakeem Adenogy a lot. And he didn't like Josh Jones. So that pick has its fans out in the world. And two of them, Matt Minnick, who, of course, is a film guy for Cincy Jungle, really like his work. He's been on the podcast before. And Benjamin Solak of the Draft Network and of Locked On NFL Draft both really like that pick. 
My issue with it is that he's just was never productive. He has some technical issues that he's going to need to iron out from a footwork and a handwork perspective. And I think the sixth round is, is just about right, especially when you consider first pick of the sixth round, right? That's right in that five, six range, which is about where I think he should have gone. So I don't think that there's really a comparison between identity and sample. I think that the value for identity is about correct, whereas for sample, I think it's much too early. But counting on him to be a starter, I think, is a bit rich. I think that if you want him to come in and be a backup at multiple positions, maybe then you're you're evaluating the value correctly. Yeah, I agree. And, and what's funny about when you say about the NFL coaches, I mean, it's the, the way that they get their jobs are, are to go into NFL front offices and talk to other coaches and convince those fo- other football men that they know how to take raw talent and turn it into NFL productivity, right? So you, it's not it's not strange that these guys are confident that they can they can do this thing. Um, the only thing I'll add is I'm actually a, a big West Virginia Mountaineers fan, and they West Virginia plays Kansas every year. Um, I don't remember Adenogy standing out as as like you know, hey, this guy's really got, you know, really, you know, something special. Then again, I'm not a film evaluator, right? I don't, I don't do the things that, 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 you know, Matt Minnick does. I, you know, I trust them uh, to do. And, and the thing is, it's a win-win really for the coaches, the coaching staff to be really high on identity, right? If he, if he pans out, they say, see, we told you so. And also look at how great we are drafting a sixth round offensive lineman. That's now a starter. And if the, if he doesn't pan out, they say, well, he was a sixth rounder. We don't really expect those guys to you know contribute that much anyway. So you know, what's the downside of of getting everybody excited about Akeem Adenogy? I guess. Yeah, when it's a sixth round pick, the risk isn't very high, right? You're not going out on a very big limb when you pick a guy in the sixth round and you talk him up. If he hits, great. If he doesn't hit, well, it's a sixth round pick that didn't work out. I mean, this coaching staff was excited for Deshaun. Do- what's what was his name? The Auburn linebacker. Deshaun mm, uh, Davis Davis. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he was somebody that the coaches talked up last year too. Joe and I were sitting here on the lockdown podcast at the time thinking, I, I don't get it. This pick makes no sense whatsoever. We hated the pick. Identity is a better pick than Deshaun Davis was, but I still think that the skill set, the productivity that we saw in college, if you're hoping for more than a decent backup, then it, it's going to take uh, – you're, you're, you're asking a lot. But what's your next, next question? I, I think it ties into the first one. Uh, and we can talk a little bit more about Coach Hubris here. Sure, yeah. What's your what's, – speaking of the offensive line, what's the floor and ceiling for this, for this 2020 O-line? What's the worst you think could happen and the best you think could happen for them? Yeah, so the, the ceiling will go left to right. Jonah Williams comes in and is a good starter in his first year of starting in the NFL. You're going to get improvement at left tackle almost guaranteed when you go from John Jerry, who the year prior wasn't in in the NFL at all, and prior to his year off was an offensive guard. I think that Jonah Williams will be better than that. Jonah Williams will be better than Andre Smith, who had never played left tackle, well, extensively in his NFL career prior to last year. On, on the wrong side of 30, a long-time right tackle. Eventually, they got decent play at left tackle from Cordy Glenn and from Fred Johnson. But Jonah Williams should be better than what they got at left tackle. 
So if he's a good left tackle, that's obviously a good start. Left guard, the best case is that Mike Jordan is an above-average guard. In my opinion, I, I don't think that he can be better than an above-average guard. His best game was above-average. He had maybe one good game, but he had a lot of bad games mixed in there too. He's a young guy. He can improve in year two for sure. Uh, I, I just think that there's significant downside there too, right? Like he could not take a step. So the the the, the floor is Mike Jordan's the same inconsistent player and you continue to get bad play at left guard. The floor at left tackle is Jonah Williams has kind of rookie year sort of struggles. And I think for him, the floor is probably somewhere around average left tackle in the NFL. Unless, you know, his length limitation really catches up to him in a big way that we're not foreseeing right now. I I think that his floor is still pretty good. The floor at left guard is really bad. And the ceiling at left guard is just a little bit better than average. At center, Trey Hopkins seems really steady to me. I think his floor is maybe slightly below average and his ceiling is going to be above average. His most likely outcome is going to be somewhere in the middle there. He's going to probably be an average center again in terms of productivity and an important piece mentally for the offensive line. Right guard. Ceiling is Xavier Suofilo finally finds a good scheme fit and that the pulling stuff that the Bengals do really fits his style, that his athleticism plays up. The The floor is that Xavier Suofilo is a guy that he has been for his NFL career where he's been a backup quality player. And, uh, you know, Billy Price continues to be what we've seen from Billy Price. There's also a ceiling case where Billy Price actually lives up to his billing and becomes an above-average player on the interior offensive line. At right tackle, floor is Bobby Hart's history, which is below average tackle play for the most part. Ceiling is probably Fred Johnson hits and is an above average right tackle. So across the line, right, pretty wide range of outcomes that all seem pretty reasonable. But to me, the ceiling is somewhere in the above average range, like the 13th or or 12th best offensive line in the league if everything goes right. And And the floor is probably somewhere around 26th, 28th best offensive line in the league if most things go wrong so that's my take and and a lot of it rides on Jim Turner who I for a while thought his job was on the line and and maybe it's not as much as I previously thought because of his relationship with Zach Taylor but I think it should be yeah I think that there are some pieces here that 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 it's not unreasonable to to be excited about based on what we saw in the second half of last year with with Fred Johnson t- taking a step or what appeared to be a step forward. Um, if Zay, you know, we've seen Xavier Suafilo do some pretty pretty nice things on film, um, and but to your point, not really string a season together or even any, anything close to that uh, of consistent play. I think banking on you know those two things to, to to be the new norm for for two players who we think we know who they are is is a little bit pie in the sky which i think is why a lot of Bengals fans are wondering why not go sign uh, you know a free agent veteran to come in here and patch something up even if it's for a year right but um i know you guys have talked ad nauseum about larry you know well, not ad nauseum but but about larry warford still out there and lots of free agents still out there i think i think james talked about it yesterday actually and uh had had i think he had the listeners send you um ideas for free agents but to that to that point next question let's say let's say i'm from the future 
and I come back to tell you the Bengals, between now and the beginning of the season, they're going to sign one more free agent. I know for, for a fact, right? Who would you want that to be and why? And who do, you, who do you think would be realistic for the Bengals if they're two different, if they're two different things? I will answer that question. And one or two more questions, because while you prepared eight, it took us so far about 12 and a half, 13 minutes to get through just two of them coming up next. <laughs> All right. So Mike has asked me, which free agent do I want the Bengals to sign? And what is a realistic free agent target for the guys that are still available? And I think that the obvious answer is the correct answer for who I want them to sign in terms of the number he's asking for, in terms of the fit, I think it's Larry Warford. Like you said, Mike, we've talked about this one a lot so far. I don't really feel like I need to rehash much of it, except for that Larry Warford steps in and is a starter. And that increases your competition for the left guard starting position and improves your depth right away. Because the guys you were going to ask to start are now going to be able to back up or compete for that other position. So, Warford makes a lot of sense. Why won't Warford happen? Well, they spent money on Xavier Suofilo, and I think that for whatever reason, they're attached to Alex Redmond, and that is a guy that I think they would have to cut, at least one of the guys they would have to cut, to feel good about it financially. Now, who is a guy that I think is a realistic target is a guy that I think we've talked about before on this podcast, the 38-year-old Cameron Wake. I think for a situational pass rusher, this guy's still got a little bit of juice left, and that's something that the Bengals really could benefit from at the edge position is a guy that can come in in pure passing downs, provide some pass rush, give it a little bit of a break to the guys ahead of him, Carlos Dunlap and Sam Hubbard in particular, be that sub-package rusher, and I think he can still do a good job of that. Shouldn't be that expensive at 38. I think that would be a pretty interesting one-year deal for this team. And then, you know, people DM or, or tag me. Like you said, I, I guess James put people up to sending me free agents. I don't know <laughs> if it was to, to bug me or, or I don't know what the, <laughs> what the intention was because he knows that I think a lot of his ideas are pretty out there. But uh, one of the names that I did like was Jabal Shear, depending on how much money he's interested in. So a theme there of some edge guys that I'd be looking at. But you could also talk about offensive tackles too. DeMar Dotson is a guy, 34 years old, Tampa Bay free agent that would be just fine too yeah i like the idea of bringing in a cam wake and saying okay we're gonna on you know obvious passing downs you can bump carlos dunlap in carlos dunlap inside and and have wake play off the edge we know dunlap's that versatile and we know how multiple they try to they're going to try to be on defense and and we're trying to be last year um so yeah i think that that makes that makes a lot of sense when it comes to uh uh, you know, the, the amount of money they have in the contracts we're talking about, you, you always bring up that, that you know, they're going to try to ex- try to extend green. They're going to try to extend Mixon. I just, and I'm sure lots of the listeners watched the last dance, right? And one of the things that, that, uh, that, that, that I took away from it was when you have a player with the, as enigmatic and as, and as, uh, as, as good of a leader as Michael Jordan is, and I'm not comparing Joe Burrow to Michael Jordan, don't get, don't let's not start that. But when you have a guy like that, they inspire that people will put up with lots of stuff in order to play with you because that they feel like you're going to, 
have what it takes. You've got the juice to get the organization over the over the edge and and create a winning team. Do you see any of that? And and we've we've seen players. Joe Joe Burrow's already reaching out to do you know seven on seven work with defensive players. He's reaching out to do uh, you know to do passing uh, passing catching drills with the wide receivers showing them and it seems like everyone's on board do you think that that has any influence on joe burr or on joe mixon and, and and aj green at all when they think about signing that next contract with the bengals knowing that this is going to be their quarterback going forward no i don't i, I think that it's, a, it's strictly a business in the nfl i don't think that you see very much of guys taking discounts in the nfl you do occasionally but I don't think that Joe Burrow is going to do that for the Cincinnati Bengals. I think Joe Mixon is looking to get his big NFL payday. I think AJ Green is looking to get his last NFL payday. I don't think the presence of Joe Burrow or the free agent acquisitions that they've made are going to have much of an impact there. I, I, I just, I don't see that playing out in Cincinnati. If it does great, but it would be surprising to me. It's one of those things where I wouldn't mind being wrong, but I also want to see these guys get paid. I am a fan of the players, and I've talked about this on the podcast quite a bit. I have a really hard time reconciling being a fan of the players, wanting to see them get paid, and also wanting the Bengals organization to build their roster optimally, use their financial resources optimally, and and maximize the value that they have on their roster. So balancing those things has always been a challenge for me, but Honestly, I I don't see that sort of impact from Joe Burrow. And the other thing that you mentioned, you know, he wants to set up these seven on sevens. He wants to set up throwing routes with Tyler Boyd. I just, I don't know if that's actually happening. And, and so the, the rhetoric is there, the, the language around, yeah, I want to set up all this work is great, but I don't know if that's been able to come to fruition yet. And I'm very curious about that. I would love to know if Joe Burrow is getting in any throwing with the wide receivers on the team, if he has been able to meet any of his teammates in person yet, because while I don't doubt his leadership, I I just, I want to caution a little bit fans reading too much into what he wants to do versus what they've been able to do, because I think that might get confused a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, I guess this for me comes more into play when putting myself into Joe Mixon's shoes. I, I'm with you on the players getting paid. I, I'm always on the side of the players. I think these organizations uh, have plenty of money. Uh, the NFL has ridiculous amounts of money. Uh, they can afford to pay these players. What If I'm Joe Mixon, though, I'm looking at the market and I'm saying, uh, unless I'm Christian McCaffrey, and I don't, don't get me wrong, I think he has the ability to be to produce at the level of Christian McCaffrey, but he hasn't done it yet. And seeing how, you know, other, all the other running backs in the league, you know, they're, they're not getting paid. So if you're, if, if the decision in your mind is, you know, I can go out in free agency and get a big payday and play, and, you know, and, and not really, you know, care what team I play for, or I can stay here. It's not like the Bengals are going to severely underpay him. I don't think like, you know, they're not going to put a, a contract in front of him. He's going to scoff at. Right. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, uh, that play out over the over the course of the year, especially with the new CBA rules about you know Joe, Joe Mixon. Basically, the whole lot, the holdout is off the table at this point. So um, that's interesting to me. So let's move over to the defense then a little bit. Um, with all the new uh, additions on defense, give me one guy that you think is going to kind of emerge as as a new defensive leader that hadn't been before. Uh, for this squad 
Yeah, uh, interesting question, uh, because today on Bengals.com, there's an article that went up about Al Golden, the first conversation I've seen with Al Golden uh, on any Bengals media so far. And they talk a lot about Josh Bynes. And I'm not I'm not expecting Josh Bynes to necessarily be a breakout player or anything, but I think that his addition might be a little bit underappreciated with the three linebackers that the Bengals drafted. He might be a little bit of the forgotten man. But the Bengals.com article does a great job of pointing out that Bynes has as many career appearances in the NFL as all the other linebackers on the Bengals combined. And from a leadership perspective, I do expect Josh Bynes to step up and be a leader in that regard. Now, as far as a breakout player, there's some guys in the secondary that I'm watching here, particularly Jesse Bates and William Jackson. Jackson had that great rookie year, hasn't played up to that form since his rookie year. Jesse Bates similarly had a bit of a slump in his second year, but sort of started figuring it out in the second half of the season. So I'm looking for both of those guys to show that they are the the top tier secondary players that they showed the promise of earlier in their careers and earned that next deal. Because if they need to go draft another corner, that's just a bit of a punch in the gut to me with all they've invested in that position. If William Jackson doesn't work out, though, they're right back to needing to draft a corner unless you want to trust Darius Phillips out there to go with Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander only on a one-year deal. So a lot of questions in this in the cornerback room in particular, and I would really like to see William Jackson step up, recapture that rookie year form, and answer some of those questions. As far as leadership, though, I do like what they've done in terms of drafting captains everywhere on the defensive side of the ball and DJ Reader's addition should do a lot for the linebacker group. So you could see some better play from all those guys at the second level too. But that's the uh, that's certainly the optimist view, I think, to some degree. Yeah, I think there's some I think there's some some juice to that though. So you you bring DJ Reader in, and and all of a sudden you've got a clogger in the middle who's going to keep you know uh, keep interior offensive linemen from from climbing and, and getting getting in front of, of the linebackers. Josh Bynes comes in and can mentor that really, really young linebacking group. Um, I think Vaughn Bell being back there with Jesse Bates um, is going to is going to bring Jesse Bates back to where he was. Right. Um, and I think that all of, you know, there's a, there's a path here to this being a, a, a top 15 defense, um, possibly a top 10 defense. Um, but like, like you said, that, <laughs> It's the path's relatively narrow and a bunch of things have to go right for that to happen. So uh, yeah. moving on. Oh, sorry. You have more. I, to add. I, I just, I do think that top 15 defense is well within the realm of possibility for the amount of talent that is, is on the defensive side of the ball. The, the level to which these guys have played in the past, it's really a matter of recapturing some of their previous form in a lot of cases and the new guys fitting. So like DJ Reader, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, Von Bell all have to fit and do specific jobs to enable the rest of the defense to do what they have done in, in the past pretty well. Mike, we have time for one more question. Pick wisely. Okay. All right, back to offense then. Uh, we saw a lot of uh, Burrow kind of thriving in five wide open open formations at uh, at LSU um, with either no tight end on the field, or if there was, he, the tight end was split out wide. We also know that Zach Taylor asked Burrow for uh, at least 10 of his favorite plays from LSU. Um, do you think that 
this evidence translates into a diminished role for the tight ends on the Bengals offense? And if so, is that where we could see the extra passing game touches for Joe Mixon next year? I think you'll see a lot of 11 personnel still. I think the Bengals will still operate 90% of their play, not 90, that's probably a little too high, 70 plus percent of their plays out of 11 personnel, meaning one running back, one tight end on the field. And I hope that they go to more five wide empty sets. I think that still means that it's just Joe Mixon and a tight end split out. You might see a little bit more four wide receiver stuff, but you look at the Rams offense, they still had a tight end on the field most of the time. And I think LSU probably still had a tight end split out a lot of the time. So I I do think that you'll still see a tight end on the field most of the time for the Bengals. This is something that seems like it is at the core of Zach Taylor's coaching philosophy. I think that it's something that we'll continue to see is, is use the same personnel as much as possible and line them up differently and, and even use the same formation as much as possible. You heard them talk about this a lot last offseason about giving the same look and running different concepts out of that same look. So I don't necessarily know that I see a diminished role for the tight end this year versus last year, but certainly compared to years prior, the Rams style offense does not emphasize the tight end. The tight end is a role player in that style of offense. It's something that you'll occasionally scheme them open. And I think you'll continue to see that to a large degree in the new Bengals offense that hopefully incorporates a lot of that empty stuff from LSU. Yeah, one of the things I really like about the LSU offense is they seem to scheme guys open in space quite a bit, which is what the Bengals, from from my perspective, need to do more of with not just Mixon, but John, you know, John Ross, um, and and any of their weapons to get the ball in space and get it to them while they're still moving, so so they're harder to tackle. And I, I, I I'm excited to see uh, how they work that stuff into the offense this year. Yeah, I want to see those crossers a little bit more. Get that ball in the middle of the field give those guys a chance to run after the catch. That was a big part of the LSU offense. And the Bengals have a couple of guys that could be pretty dangerous in that role. And primarily those guys are going to be AJ Green, John Ross, and Joe Mixon, and even Giovanni Bernard, actually, if he gets to play more than he did last year, they find a way to use him. Mike, thank you for serving as the voice of the people today. I really did enjoy these questions. It was fun to bring on a listener and just have a conversation. We might do this again in the future. For those of you listening, if you want to take your shot at it, we will see what the reception's like. So let us know what you think. Let us know if you're interested in doing this in the future. And we'll see what that looks like. I've been told, Mike, that I need to work on my outro. So I'm going to try something different today. But we will be back on Monday, Bengals fans, James and I together We have a surprise guest coming in next week that was supposed to be going on a couple weeks ago. That is now confirmed for next week. Until then, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one.